All right, let's get ready to go into the Word. Those, th- I, want, I, read a, I read a book called Hungering in the Dark, or was looking at a book called Hungering in the Dark, and this is what he said about Christmas. And I think this one phrase, or something that stood out to me, he said, those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. For this reason, once they've seen him in a stable, a manger, Christmas, they can never be sure where, where he will appear again in his wild pursuit of man. Listen to these final words. He says, this means that we're never safe. That there's no place where we can hide from God. No place where we, can, where we are safe from his power to break in and recreate the human heart. And this is what I love. Just where we least expect Jesus, he comes most fully. And we can never be sure of him again. Here's what I want you to understand. Think about that for just a moment. That manger changed everything. That stable changed everything. If God would go to that extent, which means God goes to impossible and improbable places. I hate to say this for some religious people, but you're going to have to hear it today. God doesn't just do churches. He can show up anywhere he wants to show up. Folks, listen to me. He can convict some, He can convict. Uh, someone in a club and he can convict someone in Congress he can give dreams to a king and he can give dreams to a homeless man whether you're in a penthouse or in your summer home whether you're in prison or in the projects no place is safe from God he can show up anytime any place that he wants to show up So I want to just tell you this, those that are sitting at home around the world and those that are in this place, you better buckle up today because the seat you're sitting in may not be that safe spiritually. God may show up right where you're sitting there today, so you better watch out, not for Santa, but for Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, come now. Go to every home, go to every seat, go to every couch that they're watching around the world, and I pray that you would do something very powerful today in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Despite our efforts to keep Jesus out, he seems to always be intruding. Speaking of no safe place, I heard someone so profoundly explain it like this. Listen to this. He talked about the life and the death of Jesus. He said the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. This is so good. Don't miss this. He says, he came into a virgin womb and he was going to be resurrected and leave an empty tomb. Here it comes. He says, Jesus entered our world through a door that was marked no entrance and left through a door that's marked no exit. That's our Jesus. That's where he shows up. You can't go to a virgin womb. God goes, watch me. You can't leave death. Jesus said, watch me. See, that's what makes God so amazing. Here's the part. Think of it. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. And the more I thought about this, Times Square Church, wombs and tombs can be confusing places. When when they are confusing... It's when sometimes with the womb, when it doesn't happen, and with the tomb, when it does happen. See, there have been many people who have questioned God at these two thresholds and faced confusion when they had to process wombs and tombs. Birth and funerals, I can speak for myself and Pastor Patrick and the counseling ministry. It's been births and funerals, wombs and tombs that have been some of the most intense counseling ground for for us in the ministry i've cried with couples who have said why can't we have a baby we've tried i've done funerals of premature births in the actual hospital holding on to uh, the, the the shaky legs of 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 what they thought to be brand new parents and now the hospital that they thought would bring joy is now we're holding a funeral in that hospital hospital for a premature baby that was born and did not make it I, I've, I have cried with spouses who lost, lost loved ones to COVID, and I've cried with moms that have lost young people to, to senseless drive-by shootings in Detroit. Wombs and tombs. And what's amazing is, is that God in the scriptures goes to both places and shows hope. 
He goes to the wombs and the tombs of the scripture. And because wombs and tombs are the biggest place where questions begin to come and confusion occurs, I want to take you to one of those tombs today, one of those grave sites today to help us face some confusing moments that we can't seem to see ahead. Maybe because we're, we're so overwhelmed with the grief of the moment, we don't see what's ahead. And I want to take you to John chapter 11, to a famous gravesite in John 11, to a situation. Now, this is the way the Bible describes it. We'll, we'll, we'll look at the verse in a, in a moment. The way the Bible describes it as something that physically stinks. The Bible uses those words in John chapter 11. And I want us to see or ask you to help, to help seeing God clearly when it seems that everything around me stinks, that we just can't see even further. Because it's the story of a man who goes from health to sickness, from sickness to death, but then it ends on a good note, from death to resurrection. But here's the part I want you to get, Times Square Church. Those online listening to me, because Lazarus, who the one that was sick and it was, that dies in the passage, wasn't the only one in trouble. It was a household of friends of Jesus and disciples of Jesus that were just as much in a difficult situation as they were facing confusion by Jesus. Why? For this reason. It was the death of a brother and a friend, and here's where the confusion comes. Listen, Times Square. It's all happening, John 11, sickness to death, while close by in the vicinity is somebody, Jesus, who heals the sick and raises the dead, but didn't show up on time, or didn't show up when they wanted him to. And that's what I think even pushed them over the edge. You not only have a corpse in a tomb, but you have some really confused people in a home looking for answers. And I have to tell you, that's where, when you're dealing with those kind of questions, I wanna say this to you today. I wanna just take a very important side note here. I think the greatest launch pad into atheism and agnosticism is feeling let down by God. I'm telling you, I've talked with them from planes and Starbucks, from street corners and, and to college campuses. Whenever I'm dealing with atheism and agnosticism, atheism, there is no God. Agnosticism, I just don't know. It's because there's a story of being let down by God. Or let me say it to you this way, you ready? Most people become atheists not intellectually, they become it emotionally. Something happens that creates something inside of them. Let me explain it to you this way. Because it's a journey. It is a common journey that I've seen over and over again in countries and states of America. And it goes like this. Here is the journey of the atheist. It's this. I asked God. He didn't do what I asked him. I got angry. Therefore, God doesn't exist. That's the journey. Let me, let me give it to you again. I prayed or asked God for something. He didn't do it. I got angry, and therefore God doesn't exist. That's usually a journey that goes on. He read the Bible twice through, prayed an hour a day for his sister, and all through that, he wanted and felt a calling to be a missionary. And in his words, this is what he said, I was born again, led in the prayer of salvation to be born again by Billy Graham, and I wanted to go on the mission field, telling other people the gospel. But I abandoned God and turned atheist. In fact, I described Christian, he described Christianity as a religion for rulers. That's what the founder of CNN, Ted Turner, says. The man that prayed an hour a day, read the Bible through twice, and wanted to be a missionary. Ted Turner said, I lost my faith when I saw my little sister. Here comes the, I prayed and it didn't happen. I watched my little sister, Mary Jean, die of complications from a rare form of lupus. In his words, Ted Turner said she was sick for five years before she passed away. Turner said, it just seemed so unfair and I couldn't get any answers. I prayed, God didn't answer. And this is what he said, so my faith got shaken. How could God let my sister suffer? She never did anything wrong. And Turner ended his tale about his lost faith by saying these words, I prayed an hour a day for my sister and nothing happened. 
See, now the man who read the Bible, wanted to be a missionary, prayed an hour a day, is an atheist. What happens is he becomes angry with God and his anger turns to a conclusion. It's the question, church, that I'm often asked. If there is truly a God, why does he allow suffering and evil? That question, always remember this. When people ask that question, if there's a God, why is there suffering? Keep this in mind. That question always has a personal story attached to it. They're not asking that intellectually. They're asking it because something happened to them. In fact, can I just help you? Students that are in this place, young people, college campuses, if you're watching online, it's the one thing that when you're dealing with an atheist or an agnostic who said there is no God or I don't know about if there even a God exists, the one thing I would tell you is this, is just ask them their story and you'll hear their journey. Just ask them, how did this happen? What brought you to the part that there is no God? And I'm telling you every time you're going to hear that story. I, while in ministry, faced that myself. While I was preaching in Detroit, and approaching my almost 27 years of ministry, or 25 years of ministry, I faced that moment. I asked God for something, it didn't happen, and I got angry and had to deal with God, but it was that moment of where do you process that story? Yesterday we celebrated my sons, and it was hard to believe that we have a son who's 21 years old. And so we're just, and we're celebrating, it was a great moment, but my mind went back to my hero that passed away. My dad was my hero. Just recently, someone sent me a clip of him in his police uniform um, when he was a, a New York City police inspector and just uh, an interview that they were doing. And my heart just started to beat as I was watching and hearing my dad's voice again that I haven't heard for, oh my goodness, for years. And it became emotional to me as I heard my dad's voice again. My dad was my hero. A New York City cop that loved Jesus and stood for his faith. He was, a, he was an amazing man. My, my, dad, my dad gave up hope that I'd ever get married. And, and, and he just said, listen, it's, it's over. You're 33 years old. You're, it's, you're way past. You're done. And he, he just came from that generation. Like, you become a teenager, you get married, and that's just it. So when, I, when, when Cindy came into my life, he was just overwhelmed and thought it was the greatest thing. And just, and just thinking 33. And then when I told him, that we were having a child that he was going to get to see. It was at that point that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He was diagnosed with colon cancer, and the doctor didn't give him long to live. He said it could be a year, it could be two years, we just don't know. And I remember asking God, I said, Lord, keep him alive. Listen, you kept him alive so I can, so I can get married, so, so he knows miracles happen. I said, but now he could know that, Lord, there's a boy that we're going to name after him. When we got the ultrasound, I remember getting on the phone, and he was on chemo, and there was a little bit of uh, just, there was, there was like a delay in his answers because of the chemo. I said, Dad, we're having a boy, and we're going to name him after you. And, and, and I could just hear him processing, and he goes, oh, Tim, that's good. That's so good. I'm so proud of you. I remember where I was at a bagel shop in East Detroit. I remember sitting there telling him, we're going to have a boy. We're going to have a boy. And I'll never forget going to God and saying, Lord, keep him alive. Keep my dad alive. I just want him to see him. I just want to see. December 18th is when my son was born. And I asked God, just give him three more months. My dad passed away August 25th. He missed the birth of my son. And at that point, I was just going, God, I'm in the ministry. You couldn't keep him alive. You couldn't, you couldn't just let my dad see my boy. Just to, just to, and I went through a moment, Times Square Church, where I really started to process with God. At that moment, I asked him. He didn't do it. Therefore, therefore, that's the crossroad that everybody goes through. That's the moment that you're not dealing intellectually, but you're dealing emotionally. And I want to share with you today, because there's no place safe, those wombs and those tombs, on how you can begin to see God clearer. And it was John 11 and the principles that I learned that helped me to navigate when God seems to be a little hazy and unclear. When you hit those moments, I asked, it didn't happen. And now you hit a crossroads. Where do you go from this point? I, I want you to jot these three thoughts down. Get something, because this is going to be something, a grid. 
you can turn towards. Because if we can make sense at wombs and tombs, if we can make sense at those, I'm telling you, whatever we're facing, I think this is going to help us. Because this John 11 helped me walk through that time. Let me just give you the three quick things, and then we'll open them up a little bit. Number one, this is what I've learned. Learning to trust God's word before I see God's hand. Learning to trust what he says before I see him in action. Does that make sense? So I'm learning to trust his word before his hand. Number two, since God is higher, then God sees further. Since God is high on a throne, he can see further into the situation than I can even see. And number three, this is, the, this is gonna be the challenging part. God will always do his part, but he will not do our part in this. He will always do his part, but he will not do our part. Okay, so let's begin to look at those for just a moment. Come on, let just, just a few moments. Get ready to jot a lot of things down because I think this could be something that we can refer to often. Number one, learning to trust God's word before we see God's hand. The only way I can say it is like this. Many times God will say stuff before he does stuff. God will speak before he acts. And we're being called to trust what he says before he, we see what he does. That's where things got confusing with the disciples and Lazarus' family. Here, here, let, me, let me give it to you this way. Because I saw two things, two, two confusing conundrums that they faced. The family, Martha and, and, and Mary, and also the disciples and the friends that is still a challenge today. Here are the two things that I, that I got. Number one was this. Lazarus is sick, and here's the conundrum. Jesus loves him. That's verses three and five. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. And the Bible declares it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and Martha um, and Lazarus. So here's, here's, the, here's the first confusing part. A sick saint? Seriously? Someone loved by Jesus is sick? Is that even possible? Something in us thinks, if Jesus loves me, I get a get-out-of-jail-free card when I become a Christian. Well, some of, those, some of the people that are sitting in this place who have been a Christian for a while, we want to give you a newsflash. You can get sick and be a Christian. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't get COVID. And, and this is where we have the issue that many times that we face today. See, bad things can happen to believers and good things can happen to unbelievers. But here's the difference. When the bad things happen to us as believers, we have someone with us to walk us through hand in hand when we go through that situation. That's the difference. While an unbeliever may be grasping for something, we know God is with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Someone asked C.S. Lewis one this profound question. Why do the righteous suffer? His response, because they are the only ones who know how to suffer the right way. Because the people of God go with God. But then there's a second confusion, a second conundrum, and it's this. When Jesus hears Lazarus is sick, he stays two days longer. I, I don't even get that. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Now wait a second. I thought if you love someone and they're in trouble, you're supposed to move fast to them. It's interesting. Jesus wasn't moving, but Jesus was speaking. And if Jesus is speaking, Times Square Church, that's just as good as moving. Let me explain it to you this way. See, we forgot that, and that's what frustrates us. We usually miss what Jesus is saying when we are looking for Jesus' movement because the message about Lazarus' sickness got to him in time but he did not come in their time. See, for those that know John 11's story, it's going to be a great ending. There is going to be a resurrection. But Jesus speaks the word before he performs a miracle. That's important for you to hear. Jesus speaks a promise 
before he begins to perform a miracle. See, we want the action, not the word from Jesus. But it's the word that keeps us when nothing is happening. See, that's why we have to understand we're always looking and God says, when you're in that moment, you need to be listening. Because God can be speaking and we're missing what God actually wants to say. And here is what he said right after he hears Lazarus is sick. He speaks. Here comes, here comes the word to grasp onto, but he doesn't move. Here it is, verse 4. It says, but when Jesus heard this, Lazarus is sick, he said, this sickness is not to the end, in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Jesus was saying, this is not about healing only, this is about the glory of God being manifested. See, what they heard was this, Lazarus is sick, you gotta start moving. They missed the next part. He says, this is not gonna end in sick, it's not gonna end in death, but it's gonna end with the glory of God being manifested. That's what they missed. And we have to understand how important hearing the Holy Spirit is when we're going through a moment where God is not speaking. This principle, Times Square Church, was given to us all the way in the very beginning. It was almost as if God goes, you're going to need this, and I'm going to show you it from the day of creation. Seriously, Pastor Tim, here it is. You know this. Day one of creation. Genesis 1-3. Then God said, say it with me, let there be light, and the Bible says, and light appeared. Now, here's what's crazy. There was light on day one of creation. Genesis 1-3, day one of creation. But wait, we have, talk about a conundrum, we have a huge problem here. Let me read it to you. Here's the problem of creation. It's Genesis 1-16. For God had made two huge lights, the sun and the moon, to shine down upon the earth. The larger one, which is the sun, to preside over the day. The smaller one, the moon, to preside through the night. He also made the stars. And this all happened, you ready for this? On the what day? Okay, here's the problem. God spoke light before he created the sun. Okay, I don't know if any of you seeing this or have a problem. I'm going, wait a second. You spoke before you did it. You spoke light before you created a son. Now, some of you smart ones here are going, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? Okay, look at me. Here it is. I don't know. But let me just say this. Some of you are going, that's why I like that man. Okay. I, I don't know. I have no idea. He spoke something. He spoke light and created the sun later. In fact, keep day four in mind. Here's what's amazing. I believe let there be light. That's God's word. God made two great lights. That's God's hand. And he's telling us from the beginning that God will challenge us to trust his word before we see his intervention. Before we see even God show up. I'm telling you, I've learned this. That that miracle boy, that, that boy that turned 21 years old yesterday, Christian Paul, when we, when we did this, and, I, and I, don't, I don't, this is every kid's dream, and this is every parent's nightmare. So it's the two worlds coming together, and it comes together in a city called Orlando, <laughs> Disney World. Every parent's nightmare Every kid's dream, and we did it. Oh, God, we did it with God's help and anointing and help. It was, it was three girls and a boy. We, we, we brought them there. We saw princesses and, and, and ducks and mice, and we're doing all this. And then you end the night. You end the night with four little ones. You end the night with going to this castle, and they shoot fireworks and Tens of thousands of people there. It's loud, and there are oohs and ahs. So while we're there, we're ending the night, thank God, we're coming to the end of this, and we're sitting there, packed in with people, trying to corral these four children, three girls and a boy, and so our oldest is a boy. So we get there. One has a stroller and a hand, and, and I've got another child, 
And then Cindy and I, as it's getting loud and everybody's looking to the sky, Cindy looks at me and she goes, where's Christian? And then I said what every husband says. I thought you had him. <laughs> and she said what every wife's supposed to say. That's your responsibility. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, oh, he must have just let go of my hand or something. And as I looked around and tried to get Folks, I'm just telling you, there's tens of thousands of people, and there is no eight-year-old boy. There is nobody there. And as I'm, I'm asking people, I'm going, hey, did you see a little boy with a, a Yankee hat? Did you see a little boy with a Yankee hat? Did you see a little boy? And folks, there was no, nobody was even paying attention to me. Nobody was showing any concern. Nobody was looking at me going, like, let's help. Let's, they're looking at fireworks. They're not helping me find a boy. And I'm in a spot going, what do I do? And then about 90 seconds into this, I don't know the exact time frame, I'm telling you, I got overwhelmed. And all I thought was, he's gone. Someone took him. I, I didn't know what to do at this point. This is, this is a miracle boy. This is a boy that I'm just going, how did, what, what's going to happen? And I literally stopped. The fireworks are going. People are yelling and screaming. My wife is looking. I have just at this point, I, my heart, my heart is beating. I just go, God, I need you. I don't want to. And folks, I'm telling you, I heard him in the middle of all that noise. I heard him. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. Go to the nearest policeman. I just knew it. I just knew he said that. I stopped and I walked. It was a distance. I went over this bridge and there was a uniformed policeman. And I just go, officer, I lost my son. I said, he has a New York Yankee hat on. And, he, and the officer looked at me, he goes, do you mean him? <laughs> and I just thought, oh God, thank you. And this is what he said. He said, that little boy, he said, when he lost his parents, he found me and waited until you came. Because I knew this, if I could just hear him, if I could just hear what God has to say, he'll begin. It may be, let there be light, but one day the sun is going to, in my case, S-O-N, finally showed up and made it there because God is able. That there are moments you've got to trust his word before you see his hand begin to do something. God is faithful to show up every single time. Number two, jot this down. Since God is higher, he sees further. Since God is higher, he sees further. I'm just telling you, we get impatient because we only see what's in front of us and not what's ahead of us. I, I, I hate waiting in line. When I, when I get sent to the grocery store by my wife, folks, if I have more than 10 items, I'll discard things so I can go on the express line. I'm just telling you that right now. I'm going like, do we actually need butter? And so you just discard it just to go, I want to be on the short line. All the men said amen. And so you just, you want to go on the express line, use an Apple Watch, boom, you're out. I don't want to do anything else. Folks, I, and I'm, I'm literally, not only am I trying to discard items, I, I'll stand there because I want to get through quick. I'm counting people's items <laughs> in their back. I'm going one, two. I'm going five soup cans. It's not a genre. You can't just go, well, five soup cans equals one soup. And so I, I, I don't say it, but I think it. And so as I'm sitting there thinking, it's my impatience. It's the impatience that sometimes you face in those, in those moments. See, always remember this. Jesus is too wise to move at men's speed. He's just not going to move when you want him to. Because men sees what's directly in front of them. Here it comes. Jesus sees what's about to happen on day four. Jesus sees further. See, because Jesus, you ready for this? Because Jesus waited two extra days. Ready for this Times Square? Jesus arrives. Because, it's, because he comes, not when they ask them. Jesus arrives when Lazarus is dead and not when Lazarus is sick. In fact, he doesn't just come when he's dead. He comes when he's, in a sense, stinking dead. I grew up in the church. 
And when we had to memorize John eleven thirty nine, 39, it was like the greatest verse ever. To know that the word stinketh was actually in the Bible. This is going like, I got this one. You got Jesus wept, I got the stinketh verse. This is mine. And what a joy to have the two greatest memory verses in John chapter 11. You have the shortest one and the greatest one. It says Martha and his sister said, he's dead. They said to the Lord, by this time, our favorite words as a kid growing up in the church, he stinketh. For he's been dead for four days. See, if Jesus would have come on day two, Lazarus was sick. But because he comes on day four, Lazarus is stinking dead. And this is what Jesus, but this is Jesus' plan. Because Jesus is higher, Jesus sees further. And he is in a condition after four days. That's 1117. Listen to it. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus actually waits until it stinks. And some of you are sitting here listening to this, watching this, and maybe have even used those words. What's happening now, this stinks. This stinks. And God's going, good, that's where I wanted it to come because I have a bigger plan for this. What you thought was awful, God goes, I'm just positioning this for something else. Why does he wait that long? Let, 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 me, let me give it to you like this. This is why he waits that long. I just received this amazing report from a Connect Group story this week. We have a Connect, one of our Connect Groups has, is one that's praying for prodigals. And David from California joined the Connect Group um, that's praying for prodigals with parents and family members. And he just sent this in. He said, David from California, when he heard us talking about praying and starting connect groups, praying for children or nieces and nephews that have been away from the Lord. David not only joined it, but his wife, Tony, heard him on the call each week, and she joined in. And then their granddaughter heard, and then she would join in. And David requested prayer for his nephew, Sam. This is what he wrote in. He was on drugs and alcohol, and the group began to pray for him that he would have an encounter with Jesus. Okay, here comes two, waiting two days. Here comes Jesus making sure this thing seems to get good and it stinks. Here it comes. So after they've prayed, here's what happened. Four days longer, did he get saved? This is what he writes. No, he was arrested and put in jail after the prayer. they prayed for Sam. Some of you are going like, I can't believe this. Remember, because Jesus is higher, Jesus sees further. And then he writes this. But while Sam is in jail, someone gives him a Bible. And while he gets a Bible, he starts to read the Bible. And after he reads the Bible, Sam, while in prison, becomes born again in a prison cell. No place to sit. Here's what God goes. God goes, I can get you a Bible if I can get you in prison. So while you're upset going, why is he in jail? God goes, I see further than you see. What you thought was out of control. See, because he is higher, he sees further. That's why, let's go back to that important verse, verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not unto death. He said, because he was seeing further, he says, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified for, by him. See, there's more happening here. Get this, church. Get this down. Jesus is about to resurrect more than just one man physically. Jesus is about to resurrect many men spiritually in the whole city of Bethany. Because Jesus, you ready for this? Because Jesus sees day four. See, here's what's before him. Do, do a, does you bring healing, here it comes, to help a household, Mary, Martha, or do you bring a resurrection that would change the whole city of Bethany? See, while you're going like, fix my home, God goes, I'm about to fix your home and an entire city. I'm about to do what, what you could. But if I was to come on your timetable, come in two days, if I didn't wait till this thing stunk and four more days, you wouldn't see Bethany say, you'd be happy, but they're going to hell. Listen, Jesus wanted a resurrection, so he had to wait. See, low-view people will say stuff like this. Listen to Mary and Martha. Verse 21 and 32 says this, Lord, they both say the same thing. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. They both tell that to Jesus. What was Jesus seeing on day four when people were still talking about day one? That a resurrection was better than a healing. That it's better that I have a dead Lazarus than a sick Lazarus. Why was resurrection better than a healing? Because many being saved is better than three people feeling good at home. 
That's what he thought. See, that's why Jesus said in verse 15, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Did it happen? You ready for this, folks? Look at verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews saw what he had done, here it comes, and believed in him. So you didn't just get a resurrected man, you got many Jews now believing in Jesus Christ for the very first time. Why? Because he's higher, he sees further. And finally, let's just close with this as our musicians come. God will always do his part, but he will not do our part. He sees further because he's higher. I have to trust his word before I trust his hand. There is this crazy graveyard request that Jesus gives in this story. It's a crazy, crazy request. Jesus, just before Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, Jesus says, remove the stone. Before he says, Lazarus, come forth, now, let me just pause here for a second. What, what people actually believe is that when he walked into that cemetery, when he walked into the cemetery and said, Lazarus, come forth, many historians believe that if he didn't say the name Lazarus, everyone would have come forth. That he had to specifically mention who he wanted or he would have had all of them come out. So he says, okay, all of you stay there. I'll get you another day. I just need Lazarus right now. I could just see all of them going like, me, me. And he goes, sit down. Give me Lazarus right now. What's interesting is this. John eleven thirty nine. 39, Jesus says this, remove the stone. And then right after that, in verse 43, it says this. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth. Here's the question I asked. If Jesus can say, Lazarus, come forth, don't you think he could have said, stone, move? I could just see Jesus going, Lazarus. He wouldn't do it. He would not remove. He, in a sense, Jesus does what we, what we can't do, but Jesus won't do what we can do. Listen, today we're going to baptize over 130 people at this church. Over 130. And here's what's amazing. Some of those that got baptized in the last service, it's, water baptism is the next step in the Christian walk. Not the first step, it's the second step in the Christian walk. And today... There are people that are here, this could be your day that you take that step. It's God going, I'm not going to take you from the seat and throw you in a tank. It, you can get up and you can get water baptized today. We probably had close to a dozen people that were sitting in the first service and said, I'm getting water baptized. How did that happen, Pastor Jim? You ready for this? I'm going to help you move part of your stone today. You know what we have upstairs? We bought hundreds of flip-flops, shorts, shirts, and towels, and we have changing tents up there. I have people that went up there to get baptized that said they've been, they've been knowing they needed to get baptized for 15 years and still haven't done it. You know what the greatest joy for me was? My favorite was Lester. Lester, 77 years old, he's been sitting in the church, and Lester got baptized today. Sang Lee from Korea, 76 years old, got born again in the service, and then she took that born again experience and walked those stairs and changed clothes and got born again. Look at me, folks. Don't tell me you can't get water baptized today. Because some of you are sitting here today and you've been saved for years, but you've never taken the right step of obedience. So if you're going to sit here and go like, oh, I don't have the stuff, we got the stuff. I, I, but my hair will get wet. Join the crowd. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. How much stone does God have to move until you're going to do what he says? Some of you look at me going like, why are you so angry? <laughs> Not. 
I'm trying to get you to be obedient. I don't know how to get you there. How much do we have to do? It's like you're going, Jesus is going, you can get up there. Do you know what God can do with you taking a step of obedience? And some of you are sitting here today. So when we come up at the end and Freddie leads us in one last song, we're going to dismiss all of our water baptism that signed up. And if you didn't sign up, but you say, I should be water baptized, you can go upstairs and get water baptized. I had people that I was interviewing and I was talking to them upstairs. I said, how long have you been saved? I've been saved for 15 years. I said, and they just go, I just wouldn't do it until you said it today. I moved the stone today. God, listen, when the stone is removed, the resurrection comes. You do what only you can do. Let Jesus do what only he can do. That's what we're called to do. It's, it's, it's when you have the Son of God with you, as you're standing in that graveyard, I'm telling you, as you stand next to Jesus and walk with Jesus, let him do what only he can do. Let him do what he can do. You can't raise the dead. He can raise the dead. But you can move that stone. You can move that stone. I've learned. I've learned when you walk with Jesus and you hold on to his hand, you, I'm just telling you, there are things that you never thought you could do in places you could go. Let me, let me explain it like this. When, when Cindy and I first went out, the very first place she took me, had no idea. I've never been in my life. She took me to an NHL hockey game. She was a big hockey fan. Went to a ho- she taught me everything. I didn't know what icing was. I didn't know what any offsides. She taught me everything. And that was the best one. The experience underneath that was this. Somehow, God worked it out that we started ministering at our church. It was just a God thing. Started ministering to the children of the owner of the NHL team. Just started ministering to them. So the son asked me one day, he says, hey, I want to show you. He says, I want to show you hockey from a different standpoint. And listen, I was only interested in hockey because I love Cindy. It's amazing what love does. So I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I remember pulling into the player's parking lot with my 1984 gold Toyota Celica. I remember a Celica. So good they don't even make them anymore. It's vintage. I pulled in and the, and the, the guard said, hey, 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 there's BMWs, there's Cortez, then I'm pulling in with my three-speed <laughs> pulling in. And they went, hey, you can't bring, I go, Hey, uh, the son of the owners, oh, he goes, oh, you're, yeah, park right over there. I pulled next to a BMW and some, and some Mercedes. I pulled in like I was driving a Rolls Royce. I pulled into that thing, put it down, buffed my car, and, wa- and I was about to walk in through the player's entrance, and they go, hey, hey, you can-. I said, hey, I, I'm, I'm with the owner's son. I'm with, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. I started walking places, because and, and every place they try to stop me, I said, I'm with the sun. They said, you can go. I got on elevators, no one can go unless you knew the owner's son. I went into, I, I, I acted like I owned that arena. Because every place I went, I said, I'm with the sun. And I went up into a suite. There was more shrimp and more food than I've ever seen in an ocean. And when I walked into that place, they said, hey, how come you're in here? I'm with the sun. Because I realized this. When you walk with the sun, I'm telling you something happens that doesn't happen anywhere else. That you can walk places you couldn't have got unless you're with the sun. And folks, there is someone higher than the owner of an NHL team, son. It's called Jesus himself. That when you walk hand in hand with him, you can go places you've never gone. You can get into places you've never gone to. It's grabbing hold of his hand and letting him guide you every single time. His name is Jesus. That's who it is. So he says, you've got to grab my hand today. What's that called? That relationship is called being born again. That's what that relationship is. You don't get it by coming to church. Water baptism doesn't. Communion doesn't. But born again. Well, I went to the mosque. I went over here. Mm-mm. It's when you grab hold of his hand. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? Jesus said this. No man can get to heaven 
unless you've been born again. Listen to me, folks. If you were to ask you why you should go to heaven, I'm a good person. Look at me. Jesus doesn't hold hands of good people. He holds the hands of forgiven sinners. So if you're sitting here today, listen to me, sir. I'm a good man. I've taken care of my family. I haven't hurt someone. Then Jesus goes, try to get to heaven on your own. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus goes, come on, let's go through. You get to heaven with the son. So when I walk through heaven's gates, why are you here? I'm with the son. That's why I'm here. You've got to be with the son today. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? I'm getting so excited. I'm almost at the edge here. I'm almost, I'm about to see the sun in just a few moments. Here it is. How, how does that happen? How do you grab his hand? It's by first saying, I'm a sinner. It's A, B, C, those three letters. A, admitting that I'm a sinner. Not admitting I'm a good man. Not proving your case. It's admitting I'm a sinner. I've got a condition. It's a diagnosis of everyone in this room. God said, all have sinned. So the moment you say, I'm good, and you think that can get you to heaven, you don't have the hand of Jesus. Then you're depending upon your own goodness. It's when you grab the hand of Jesus and go, I need you to be a savior for me. It's admitting we're a sinner. B, believing that God sent his son to come and fix our sinful condition. We couldn't fix it ourselves. We couldn't fix it with a priest or a pastor or a promise. There's not a synagogue or a mosque or a Catholic cathedral. There's not a religious organization. This church can't fix you. It's only Jesus that can fix you. It's only he that can fix you. He is the answer. It's believing that God sent his son to come and die in my place. I was supposed to die for my sin. God the Father says, I love them so much. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to die the death they were supposed to die. He's going to live a life that they couldn't even dream of living, give them a reward that they didn't even deserve. It's us believing that God did this for me. And finally, see, confessing him as Lord, which means saying, you're in charge of my life now. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Religion says, show up here for 90 minutes every week. Relationship says, God goes, I want every day of the week. I want to walk with you every single day. The word Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10 means you're the boss now. You're in charge. I want everybody here to bow your head and close your eyes. Bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. It's the most important question. Is are you with the son? Have you been born again? And today this could be that day. The word born again means just as you had a first birth, you can have a second birth. The first one is physical. The second one is spiritual. Those that are watching online, I want you to get this. If you're in your living room, if you're watching or listening on a Monday or a Tuesday, this may come not even on a Sunday. God, as we said in the beginning, no place is safe. You may be watching from the Philippines or Mexico City. You may be from the Dominican, and you may be watching from Brazil. And I want to tell you today, for those that are in Spain and Italy and the UK, no place is safe. He will go into the seats in a church, and he'll go right to your home in Madrid. And if you're sitting here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to grab hold of his hand. I want to be born again. And when you pray that born-again prayer, Pastor Tim, I want to be part of that. I want to start a journey with God. I'm going to admit I'm a sinner. I want to believe that Jesus came and died for me. He was my sin bearer, and I want to confess him as Lord today. I want to start that brand-new journey today. You know what your moving of the stone is? Remove the stone so you can do what you can do. In just about, five, in about 15 seconds, I'm going to ask you in 15 seconds to raise your hand and say, put me in that prayer. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. It's as simple as that to move a stone. There are some that are just going to sit here. They're not going to do anything. They don't want God to do it all. It's going to be as simple as that, to move the stone. Do what you can do and let God do what only he can do. Because if you can lift a hand today, God can go, I can do something deep inside your soul today. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, here comes the moving of the stone, put me in that prayer today. Let me start that journey with God today. Today, I'm going to start that journey with God. If that's you, without any hesitation, if you're saying, put me in that prayer, balcony, main floor, online, hold up your hand right now. Put it up high so I can see every hand that's up because I want to make sure I count them. There's one, two, 
3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Keep them up. 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. The balcony, 38. I just want to make sure I make everyone that's there. Those 38 people, thank God. You can put your hands down right now. What a blessing. Come on, everybody in this place, let's pray with these 38 people and all those that are in line. Come on, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands together. I want you to stand with me. Man, I've gone about few minutes over but listen here's what I want you to get today if you raise your hand you move the stone but there may be one other stone you may be going like I'm born again I'm doing this quick I'm getting I'm not only being born again I'm getting water baptized today here's what's gonna happen if you're on the list to get water baptized you can start heading out now and you have all of our team that will show you where to go can we give it up for all those that are getting water baptized today you can start moving out hey and if you if you made that decision today, all you have to do is text the word DECIDED to 51,000. We're going to give you what your next steps are if you've been born again. But if you've been born again and you say, I want to be water baptized, hey, we got you covered. We'll move a stone. If you get up there, we'll get you baptized today. Hey, I'm excited for the 37 people in here. Four more people responded online. 41 online. So we're going to, we thank God for 41 souls that have been born again today. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.